0: All right, hope everybody is doing great today. It is uh, good to see everyone back out here um, on the lawn. (laughs) Thank you guys for being patient as uh, we continue to pray and wrestle through and figure out the best way for us to all be able to gather together and love and encourage one another as we rally around God's Word as His people. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be continuing this morning our series going through the Gospel of Mark. Um, I do hope all of you are enjoying this uh, long weekend, and praise God for His kindness and grace. We could not have planned it any better uh, after three weeks of heat and a lot of humidity, um, three absolutely glorious days uh, that call us outside and um, allow us just to be able to enjoy God's kindness to us uh, through His creation. So uh, as you're turning there to Mark chapter 10, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll dive in together into God's Word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much to be able to be here today. Father, we thank you that you do speak through your Word. I pray that we would never miss that, that when we come to your Word, Father, that we should rest under it, that we should submit ourselves fully to it, that it is the way you primarily have chosen to reveal your purpose and your plan through your Word, magnifying, telling the story of your Son, who came and suffered and sacrificed himself in the place of sinners like all of us here so that through faith and repentance, Father, that we would see our sin and be moved to rest in your grace and that we would devote ourselves to you. And, Father, that's what we're going to see this morning. And I pray that you would work through weakness in me. Um, Father, it is fearful to talk about pride when you know that you are a prideful man. And so, Father, I pray that all of us here this morning... Father, we would see our sin clearly, but that we would see your son even more clearly and that you would magnify him before us this morning. And we ask all of this in Jesus name. Amen. Um, This weekend for the Hickman family is one of our favorite every year. Um, We love Labor Day weekend because that means the start of college football. And for our family, um, we love all sports. It's no secret if you know us, if you have been around us, If you have any association with us, um, almost to an unhealthy level, uh, we love sports, specifically college football. And being born and raised in Alabama, um, unfortunately, um, there is a sickness which sweeps that state into a frenzy uh, every fall and for the better part of about five months. You kind of don't have a choice but to have this sickness spill on top of you. Now, you may choose to be very sick with it, as I do, or you may choose to be just a little bit sick with it, and that just comes just by being an innocent bystander. It does not miss anyone if you are down in that region this time of year. Um, And unfortunately, uh, this is a sickness that seems to get passed on from generation to generation as it did with me. As much as I prayed that God would spare my children from this burden, um, they have not been. And uh, maybe even a little more unhealthily than me, which I did not think humanly possible, uh, they are still wrestling through it as well. Um, And I am grateful for the university that I pledge my loyalty to. I am grateful for all the joys that rooting for this team brings me. But more importantly than that, I'm grateful for all the ways that God has used pulling for this team to expose sin in my own heart over the years. And I can tell you this in full, genuine honesty, non-snarkily at all, that being a fan of the University of Alabama Athletics has absolutely helped to cultivate humility in my life. I know you may be laughing and rolling your eyes at me, but I assure you this is truthful. Okay? You may roll your eyes and say it's easy to appear humble when your team wins a lot. I will disagree with you and argue with you about that as far as the day is long. Uh, But I will let our text make that point more clearly in a bit. Um, I tell my sons all the time to enjoy this season of fandom because it will not last forever. And I know that because for the better part, more than half of my adult life, my team did not dominate in any way, shape or form. And actually for about an 11 or 12 year stretch, it was utterly embarrassing to say that you were associated with that university. Whether it was boosters paying players, whether it was coaches engaging in inappropriate relationships, and things that were even far worse than that. It was absolutely humiliating. And as should be the case when we are humbled We should never rise up from being humbled with greater pride and arrogance than we had before. No, we should rise up with appreciation and thankfulness and gratitude that we have been allowed to see what we've been humbled from so that we can be thankful for each and every moment that is better than what we just endured. The book of Daniel tells us of such a story with King Nebuchadnezzar the king who ruled the entire known world at the time of his reign. No man greater or more powerful in the world than he was. And also a man who had a supernatural encounter with the one true God and saw the full display of God's power and glory even in the face of Jesus. A man that in some ways had been humbled, in great ways had been humbled. Listen to his own words after he has his first encounter with the living God. This is Daniel 3, 28 through 30. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, And their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And then it turns to chapter 4, and we see Nebuchadnezzar's own words being spoken here as a decree. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. This is a beautiful and right response after we see our sin in light of God's holiness and we respond in humility after receiving mercy and grace. But the story doesn't end there with Nebuchadnezzar, unfortunately. No, immediately following these verses at the end of Daniel 3 and the beginning of Daniel 4, we get the rest of his story. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he calls Daniel in to interpret it. And Daniel does interpret it. And this dream is a dream of how Nebuchadnezzar's pride is going to lead to him losing his kingdom and all that he has. But Daniel has a message for Nebuchadnezzar. If he would repent of his pride, then maybe there can be a different outcome. Listen to Daniel four twenty seven. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. But Nebuchadnezzar did not do so. And one year later from Daniel's warning to him, Nebuchadnezzar, what God had promised to Nebuchadnezzar comes to pass. Daniel 4, 28 through 33, this is Nebuchadnezzar's own words. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my, my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in his mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. But thanks be to God, this is not the end of Nebuchadnezzar's story. Though he deserved no mercy or grace because of his sinful pride and arrogance, God in grace moved toward Nebuchadnezzar in grace but this time, Nebuchadnezzar walks away with an eternally changed perspective. Listen to Nebuchadnezzar's own words from Daniel 4:34 to 37. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom does endure from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. But now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Now I know you must be thinking now, Blake, thank you for that walk through Daniel, but we are studying Mark's gospel. How does this connect? Great question, and I hope we will all see this together this morning because we see the same story playing out in our text this morning. We see men encountering the living God. We see men beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We see a call to humility and understanding what their position should have been because of their sin turn into a plea and a call for greater glory that ends with a chance for division and disunity. But finally, we see the same mercy and grace from our Savior shown to the twelve, and by way of these pages today, shown to us as well as was shown to Nebuchadnezzar so many years ago. And ultimately, through the description of the sinless suffering servant, I pray too, we will be able to praise, honor, and extol the King of heaven, and that we will all be humbled of our pride and move to walk in ultimate service to him. So let's walk through this text together this morning. There's three observations here that I want us to see from this text, and they are very simple. We are going to see the gospel explained, we are going to see the gospel denied, and we are going to see the gospel applied. And so we are going to start start with seeing the gospel explained. Look with me there in Mark chapter 10 and verses 32 and 34. These are the verses that Jordan just read for us. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Here we have Jesus giving his most full and clear explanation of what will happen when they get to Jerusalem and his most full and clear explanation of what everything he has been teaching and proclaiming will lead to. He will suffer. He will die. He will rise again. And this is a full and clear explanation of the gospel. If we miss what Jesus is saying to us in these verses, we have no hope of making sense what comes in the remaining ones we have before us today. Let's start with some connecting pieces first. First, verse 32 here should draw us back to our time in Isaiah last year. Specifically, Isaiah 50. Jesus has set his his gaze on Jerusalem. He has his face set like flint towards Jerusalem. You may remember the several songs of the suffering servant from our time in Isaiah. And though the 12 wouldn't have known that these were about Jesus, we know that Jesus did. He's the living word. He knows that he is the full and final fulfillment of all of these things. And he sees before him in Jerusalem the purpose of his coming. He sees it. He knows it's there and they are making their way there. His humiliation in the place of his people is about to take place. And Jesus outlines for the twelve and the others that were there how humiliating this will be. Look at these verses. He will be betrayed by the religious leaders. He will be condemned and handed over as a criminal to die. He will be mocked, spat upon, flogged, and killed. This also should take us back to Isaiah, to Isaiah 53, to the heart of one of those songs. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we had deemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Specifically there in verse 6 of Isaiah 53, we should take note. Notice there in Mark 10, as Jesus is describing what he is going to endure, he lets them know that he will be handed over to the Gentiles. I appreciate R.C. Sproul in his commentary this week helping helping me make sense of this. This would be Jesus saying to them that he is about to be made ceremonially unclean. And this would also call to mind the role of the scapegoat to the Jewish people. The symbolism of the sins of the people being placed, on, being placed on Jesus and having him driven outside the camp, far away from the people of God, suffering for the sins of the people. This is the picture of humiliation that Jesus is painting for his followers. And it would have been shocking to them to hear Jesus speak this way. This is what he is communicating that he must endure for all who would be his. But the good news doesn't end there because we know the good news is not just that Jesus died and suffered for the sins of those that would be His. It's that He rose from the dead in victory and triumph over sin, death, and the grave. His humiliation for His his own would lead to triumph and glory for Himself forever. This is the good news, friends. God who came to dwell in flesh among sinners humiliating himself in sinless perfection to provide a perfect sacrifice for filthy people who could not save ourselves. And in the process of being humiliated from our earthly perspective, him being humiliated, he is actually putting all evil things to open shame and he is humiliating them by triumphing over them as he rises from the dead. And I hope as we hear those words this morning that we are moved to respond with joy and humble repentance. But the twelve and the others who were with them that day, they responded with fear and with amazement. And that, what, that makes what happens next in our text so bewildering to me. Let's look at verses 35 through 40. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. Jesus, continuing there, goes on and explains for them what is going to happen. He says to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And this leads to our next observation because here we see the gospel denied. And we see it denied in the lives of James and John. Jesus has just articulated the gospel as clearly as his followers had ever heard. And this is the response. Jesus, thanks for humiliating yourself. By the way, can we get in on the glory that you're going to receive when you come into your own? Yeah, thanks, appreciate that. And remember here, James and John are most likely thinking of earthly rule and kingdom being established. Now, I don't know how they could miss the part where Jesus just said that he's going to die and rise from the dead. But they miss it, apparently. And what I want us to see here is the need for us For all those who rest in Jesus to be resting in and remembering what Jesus says in those verses that we just read before. Why must we always be resting in the gospel? Because just being close to and hearing the message of the cross isn't enough to keep sinful pride from growing and taking over our hearts. You could not be closer to Jesus from an earthly perspective than James and John. Like literally, closeness, proximity, nearness of heart. Yet they completely get caught up in seeking their own glory that they miss a call to humility and therefore they miss a call to worship. But Jesus is going to help them see this call again in a prophetic way. And it's a way that James and John would not yet have eyes to see or ears to hear. Yes, they will drink the cup. and Yes, they will be baptized with the baptism. But by the grace of God, when that day actually would come for them, they would understand the joy of being humiliated like Jesus because of what Jesus endured and took on for them. But it isn't just James and John that miss it here. The 10 see what is going on with James and John and they become enraged. They are seriously ticked off at what's happening here. And it's not righteous indignation at all. No, they're mad because they didn't think of it first. They're mad because they think somebody may have cut in line in front of them. How dare they try to get right and left before I tried to get right and left? James and John's request has now led to jealousy and contempt. And now all of them are fighting over who should be receiving glory. And as we've seen before, this is not the first time that this has happened with the 12. Just a chapter before, Matthew preached this to us a few weeks ago. We've seen this. So close to Jesus. So near to the gospel. And missing it even when it is plain in their faces. Friends, let's don't be tempted to think that we are different. We are no different. Let's not let our hearts feel pride over how we would have gotten it right. No, we would have blown it too, just like we blow it every day. Whether it's with our spouses, our children, our parents, our friends, our coworkers, the people that share the road with us. Or at a TV watching football. We value and esteem ourselves as more important than other people all the time. All the time. Whether it's because we are in a position that is above others, so we naturally feel more important. Or whether it's because we are under others, that we feel we have more talent, skill, or intellect than. The sin of pride is sneaky and it quickly eats up and leaves us out of our minds. But thanks be to God, there is hope. There's great hope. And this leads to our final observation here because we see the kindness and mercy of our Savior here. Because we see the gospel applied, we see it explained. See it denied, and now we see it applied. Jesus does not leave them fighting with one another and in their pride, though that is what they and we deserve. No, look at the grace of his response to them in verses 42 through 45. Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life It's a ransom for many. Jesus helps the 12 see how the gospel should show itself in all of our lives. And look at the comparison that he makes here. We saw from the very beginning of the passage in verses 32 through 34 that Jesus tells them what the Gentiles or specifically the Romans would do to him makes a connection there and puts the picture in their mind. And now he's calling them to think about that again. Listen, these people that are going to do this to me, you know how they live their lives. They live their lives with no acknowledgement of sin, no acknowledgement of oppression, no acknowledgement of evil and wickedness, no acknowledgement of anything wrong. They live their lives feeling that everybody deserves to be under their feet. They live their lives looking down on everyone around them and making sure that everyone around them knows that they are less than them. This is what Jesus is doing by painting this picture. The very people that are going to appear to defile me and kill me they would do the same to you. Look at what he says. He says he wants them to know and he wants them to remember what he has just said so that they can remember the gospel. To be able to tell them, remember, this is not what I am doing. It's not how I do this. He's asking them to remember who he is what he has done and what he will continue to do and then he directs them on what they should do he tells them that they should serve even to the point of giving all they have even their very lives for the sake of the gospel why because that's what jesus did for sinners like me and like you he comes takes on our flesh. He leaves His throne in glory and comes into our sinful world. Why? Because we can't do anything about our situation on our own. He doesn't come lording His glory over us. No, He comes sacrificing Himself for us. So that through faith and repentance in his sacrifice, we're not just given pity and released from condemnation. Now we're given every blessing and benefit that comes with sonship. Now he brags on us to his father, he pleads our case to our father. He invites us to enjoy all that are His. He doesn't roll His eyes at how much of misfits we are and how we in our sin bring shame to His name. No. He doesn't hide the key to the storeroom of the treasures. He busts the door open and He throws us in there. Why does He do this? Because we couldn't do it on our own. This is the ultimate act of humility. Such an amazing act of grace. So how do we rest in this today? It is so simple and so hard all at the same time. We have to remember and we have to rehearse the gospel all day, every day. We can never take a moment off from rehearsing it. Constantly remembering who Jesus is should constantly help us to remember who we are. And by the way, when you see yourself in light of the cross, before you see his grace and his mercy, you seeing yourself should never produce pride and arrogance in our hearts and our lives. That is never the response to an encounter with Jesus. So today... We rest in the Savior and His sacrifice for sinners, and we repent of selfishness and sin, of pride and arrogance, of jealousy and contempt, of bitterness and hardness of heart, of self-righteousness and prejudice. We lay all these things before Him. We confess all these things to Him. A look at the humiliation of our King should drive all desires of self-exaltation far from us. And then we see His mercy. Then we see His mercy. And then we see His grace toward us in our sin. So we can run to Him and rest in Him and now be filled with gospel confidence that doesn't produce pride and arrogance, but it produces humility and joy. May that spill over to everyone around us so that Jesus is able to be seen in all that we do. No matter how you are here today, if you have never seen the sacrifice of Jesus in the place of your sinfulness, run and rest in grace today. And if you have walked with Jesus all of your life, Run and rest in grace today. It's what He makes available to all of us through what He has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word and we thank You for this text and we thank You for the tenderness and kindness of our Savior. Father, those prideful, arrogant words from James and John are no different than prideful, arrogant thoughts and actions and words that any of us would speak And yet, Father, Your tender compassion towards them and allowing them to be reminded of who You are, may we feel that today as well. May You convict us of our sin. May You lift our heads in hope. May we rest in the freedom that Your gospel can bring. And may we be filled with humility and joy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.